Welcome into this episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Zane Hopin, joined by Chris Cartman. We're without Kalen Jones today, as he's not feeling well, but we're gonna we're gonna do our best without him. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Zane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just like every other free episode we do, we're gonna look into ASU's last game in this in this week. It was ASU defeating Colorado 41 to 30 at home last Saturday. Um, a big game for the offense, a season high of 583 yards of total offense, including 381 on the ground. Um, back to the discipline, like we talked about before recording, one penalty for five yards, no turnovers. That seems to be a trend that we've seen all year, and a lot of good individual performances. But before we really get into that, Chris, what are your initial thoughts? Just once again, ASU faced some adversity and rebounded from it. And, and I'm not just talking about USC to to – the, the Colorado game, but also within the game. And we've seen that several times this season. ASU was, was down 10 points at three different stages of the game, stayed connected to Colorado, uh, really exploded there in the fourth quarter, 191 rushing yards. We haven't seen anything like that from this team this season uh, in a half, much less in a quarter. And, um, and uh, the key thing that I also took away from this offensively for ASU was – just uh, no turnovers, one uh, uh, negative play in each half. So they stayed on schedule. It allowed their playbook to be really open. And uh, I thought that uh, Billy Napier did a good job of staying committed to uh, what they were doing offensively, seeing that Colorado was tired in the second half, and then being able to exploit that. Um, Of course, Colorado had some missed opportunities in the first half that were also crucial in the game. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a little more into those missed opportunities in a little bit. But something we talked about going into this game on our premium was, you know, me and Kalen kind of joked about it. You know, this seems like the game for ASU to finally establish the run because it, it's something we'd brought up multiple times going into plenty of games this season. But this really was the one. I mean, DeMario, 25 carries, 189 yards, one touchdown. A bulk of those came in the fourth quarter, closing the game. Uh, Eno Benjamin had a breakout game, five carries for 52 yards, and that that touchdown you've all probably seen by now. And uh, Kalen Balage, you know, didn't get the touches that you know a lot of us are used to seeing, but he had he had 43 yards, I believe, right? 43 yards of his own. Um, you know, nine carries. You know, I mean, so what what did it? You know, you talked about Colorado being tired at the end of the game to close there, but you know, what else could ASU have seen? You know, maybe even going into the game that you know we're going to pound the ball. I don't probably nothing really. It's just Colorado entered the game an average run defense, and uh, probably its worst game, certainly its worst quarter that it had all season. Uh, one of the things that we say coming into the game was when Colorado did a good job in the A gap with a 350 pound defensive tackle. Uh, that that that's when it usually was successful. He actually didn't play a lot in this game. I don't know if it was injury or or whatnot, but. Um, but ASU really dominated at the point of attack, and I feel like AJ McCollum has made really good strides, um, and uh, just the the overall line play early in the season, I didn't see really structural problems with what they were doing. I just felt like they weren't really in sync, and the coaches weren't sure of how to utilize them at the best level. And then they ran into some teams that were actually really good run stopping teams, which. Uh, stunted their progress probably quite a bit and then um and some of it's luck also like some of it is like 
just a play that could break but doesn't for whatever reason. And it just seemed like ASU was due to have some long runs from scrimmage. And, um, you know, we had talked about just uh, all season, ASU hadn't had a run from scrimmage longer than like 20 yards or whatever for like the first half of the year. And then that uh, other than, um, you know, like jet sweeps or whatever f- with wide receivers. But uh, for that to really just kind of bust out and, and um, they use this 12 personnel look with the two tight ends really effectively in this game where, where CJ French love and Tommy Hudson were, were as wingbacks. And uh, I think we said on the, one of the premium podcasts recently that they really should probably try to do whatever they could personnel-wise to force more traditional run game success, such as going to more too tight looks. And um, and then Demario Richard, somewhat, something that we've seen in the past, but Napier has not been around before this season, so probably he doesn't have the same level of awareness, is he does tend to get stronger in games and, 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 and wear on opponents when he gets um, a lot of carries. And uh, he's the type of guy that actually gets quite a few yards after contact for, for a Pac-12 running back. So you saw kind of all those things come to bear in, in this game uh, all together. And at a time that they really needed it because uh, I know you like to say every every game is like the next most important game for Todd Graham. But, but really, Zane, if they had lost this Colorado game, it, they would be in a really big problem um, going into their last three games in the season, maybe even needing to win all three for Tagram to feel safe. They now have given themselves probably a little bit of margin for error. Um, and, and still they can't go and lose to UCLA and Oregon State on the road, both of them or anything like that. But uh, but at least they have sort of, you know, this season that's all, all these like spikes and up and ups and downs, they're back kind of in a good place uh, after that USC game. And, and, um, and, and probably just overall um, as functional a team as as we've seen at this point because even when they beat Washington and Utah they didn't have some of these elements as part of those games that they that they, that they had here not to get too off topic but you talk about the remainder of the season and how important this game was just to set up you know how to finish the season strong or or you know weak even but you know I'm sure a lot of people listening think the U of A game is always going to be the most important game of the year. So how much, you know, you talk about UCLA being a very winnable game, you know, especially with Rosen in or out, Oregon State being a very winnable game on the road. That U of A game is their biggest game, you know, rivalry or not. Uh-huh. It, it is. <laughs> it's the biggest game. And and we've seen um, – I look back at, like, previous coaches at ASU. Um, Dirk Cutter, even though he beat Arizona, like, two of his last three seasons and won seven games in those seasons, he still got fired. Um, so, so even if you do win, it's not necessarily guaranteed that you're, that you're safe, but, but um, it's, 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 it's under such a magnifying glass, especially when your season isn't great. Like if you don't have a great season and you're going to go to, you know, insert bowl name here, you know, that people don't really care that much about, Beating Arizona is like a huge thing at the end of the year, especially when Arizona is good. Like Arizona this year, um, its, it's chances were hurt quite a bit in the, in the South by losing to USC, but still like a good team. And you never know what could happen with USC's last two games of the season, Colorado and UCLA. Um, and, and maybe that game was going to end up deciding the South this year like it did. But remember when it, that game decided the South a few years ago and ASU lost in Tucson, that was like devastating. And, um, and you just don't want to have too many of those if you're a coach. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think we're still. I think we're building to that game being big, especially as it relates to Todd Graham, hmm. and even maybe Rich Rodriguez. But. Possibly, I mean, Rich Rod probably is is now. He's probably saved his job with a six and two start. But. Yeah, I mean, unless they like fall apart and then yeah. lose to ASU or something. But I think I think he's in a much better place now. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, now back to the Colorado game. You know, Colorado is a team that that going into this game we previewed as one of the more talented teams ASU will face all year. A team that hasn't really found their identity, hasn't really put all the pieces together. But, you know, no matter what you've seen from them, you know they have a good receiving core. And that was the one facet of the offense that didn't really come to play in this game, you know, ironically enough. Steven Montez coming off of his best game of the year against Cal, we kind of expected him to come in and see similar success against ASU. He threw for three three seventy five, three forty five, three forty five. Threw for three forty five, missed three touchdowns because his receivers all dropped the ball. And I mean, like we talked about on the post game show, this game is completely different if it starts out twenty eight to three instead of ten to three in Colorado's favor. The first one was the wheel route to Lindsey that Christian Sam had a, a busted assignment on. That that was a little bit off, and I think that was more on Montez. But the other two were, were, were darn near perfect throws. Um, the, the, the Shea Fields getting behind uh, Chase Lucas and Evan Fields, both of them had coverage busts on that play. Uh, and like Chase Lucas is in man coverage. There's no, he shouldn't even be looking at the run. Um, when his receiver is still running a route, basically. And, and Evan Fields has a more difficult assignment. It was his first play in the game. They targeted him after Daz Tautolatasi got hurt uh, on that block uh, a play earlier. But that ball is right in the wheelhouse of where it should be caught by Shea Fields running down the field. And he's a really good big play target and very reliable. So to have that happen and then the one after that in which um, – uh, the, the, who who dropped that? I guess it was um, Devin Ross. Devin Ross, yeah, Devin Ross dropped that one uh, in the end zone where he beat Chad Adams on a play in the end zone, and and that that was also he was behind the defense and it was right where it should have been caught. And and man, you know, Steven Montez all year is like probably frustrated, and his coaches are frustrated because he's just missing on some big play opportunities. And his receivers are frustrated because they're open and he's not getting the ball to him. And then now the total reverse happens to where he throws it perfectly to them and they're not able to bring the ball in when they've been pretty reliable at making those types of plays. And it just is almost like a microcosm of what a wacky Pac-12 season that we've had on a broader scale and some things that you just don't really anticipate happening. And uh, um, for Steven Montez, that's got to that's gotta be like a little extra... Uh, frustration to, to the way his seasons unfolded, but definitely that would have changed the game in, in a major way. And, and Colorado would have been up another 10 to 17 points. Uh, Montez would have had over 400 yards passing in the game. And remember, ASU doesn't play as well from behind a, a more significant number. Like this was a game where ASU came back from down 10, but this ASU team, this all season hasn't been able to come back from like, two touchdown or more deficits almost at all. So I really do think like if they, if they were down, you know, 14 points, 17 points, 20 points, that totally alters what Billy Napier is doing. And I don't know what happens in this game as a result of that. So those were huge monumental costly plays early on. And they needed them too, because Philip Lindsay, a guy who's third in the nation in rushing yards, didn't have his best day. I mean, 80 yards looks all right on paper, two touchdowns, but they're from the goal line. And really, I can only think of one or two explosive plays. One of them was out of the pass game. 
I mean, so what what did you see from the defense that was – I mean, was this, you know, just a point of attack thing or was Lindsey off his game or what, what did you see that really made it so that they shut down well, one of the five, ten best running backs in the country? It was kind of a tale of two halves uh, because he did fine. Uh, you know, he probably wasn't that far off of his numbers in the first half. And then in the in the in the third quarter, he had three carries and uh, um, he had five yards net in the third quarter on three carries. And then in the fourth quarter, you know, part of it was Colorado gets behind and then is trying to throw the air the ball out more. So so that was a big part of it. Uh, but he had only four carries in the fourth quarter. Ran for four yards. Ran for one yard. Had a no yard gain. And then he had a five yard gain. Now. Part of that is 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 uh, Rennell Wren playing really effectively at the point of attack. Remember, George Lee goes out with a shoulder injury. Rennell Wren had been hurt the previous week with his right knee against USC, left the game for a brief period of time against Colorado when he re-aggravated it, played 30-something snaps. He was on the field for like 25 or so, 25, 28 snaps in the, in the, in the second half. And they're having to double him. He's collapsing the pocket. He's basically owning, and then and then that allowed Christian Sam and DJ Calhoun to come up and make a lot of plays, kind of untouched. And um, and yeah, they just had no rhythm. ASU's really dominated the the point of attack. I saw a stat by Jeremy Hawks, who has a good job with ASU media relations. ASU's one of only a couple teams in the country to have uh, three players with more than 20 pressures along its defensive front. I think it was two teams. Two teams, yes, you're yeah. right. So so you had Wicker, Smallwood, and Latu each have more than 20 pressures on the season. And, and, and that's with ASU not bringing as many blitzes, nearly as many blitzes. Um, as it as it had in the past. Now, they were doing some things creatively, cat corner blitzes with Chase Lucas in this game, just kind of force and corral. But uh, ASU just really won this game at the point of attack. Colorado had an injury at, with its, uh, at center. Uh, a guy who was an All-American, freshman All-American last year who moved from guard to center that ASU also offered. He got hurt, and I think that also affected... Uh, what Colorado was doing defensively at the point of attack in the game. And you talk about that stat, ASU being one of two teams with that kind of quarterback pressure from the defensive line. Also keep in mind, you're missing Karan Crump. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want to do like a per 40-minute like basketball-like stat, Rennell Wren, I'm sure, wouldn't be far off either. No. Yeah, because if you look at like the percentage of snaps that, that Rennell Wren is, is disrupt, disruptive in terms of just – Pocket when you collapse a pocket, even if you don't get to the quarterback, and he's had quite a few times where he pushed his guy all the way back into the quarterback and had a chance to make a play or did make a play, but that's just very unsettling to quarterbacks, and it 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 forces premature throws, pocket you know scrambles, play extensions that are, you know are going against what should be happening. Tayshawn Smallwood's probably played his best football of his career in re, in the last few weeks. Jojo Wicker's done a good job. I think that the, the, they were late in, in making the move to, to bring Lee and, and Wren into the game. They sh- should have done that earlier against like Stanford after uh, adjusting to Karan Crump's injury. But credit them for at least you know kind of figuring that out. And the defensive front has played really well. AJ Latu's played really well. Um, Jamarcus Rhodes had a couple of of um, 
containment issues in this game where he really had to force Montez to hand the ball off and he didn't and Montez scrambled and Montez is really good and then A.J. Latu had one play early on in their first scoring drive where he took a bad angle that allowed Montez to get around the edge for a, a big gainer but but overall you have to say they, they're doing really well and Karan Crump has a, a, a chance at earning another year of eligibility I'm hearing it's 50-50 or maybe a little bit better for ASU and, and he may decide to try to come back so so imagine next year you do lose AJ Latu and Tayshawn Smallwood, but you get uh, Ren, Wicker, Lee, Karan Crump, and then coaches like what they're seeing, from my understanding, and Darius Slade, the Ohio State transfer, who has a chance to get out there as well, and 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 now JJ Wilson is playing effectively. So I I don't think they're really going to pr- drop off that much. Uh, they have to replace uh, Christian Sam. And maybe depending on what happens with his draft status, DJ Calhoun's going to be gone, obviously. So, but no, I think I think that they're still going to be in a in a in a. I think they'll, they probably won't take a step back next year. And we talk about flipping the script really in this game from the first half to the second half. I mean, offensively, you know, you, you showed me a stat before the game. You know, before ASU's last scoring drive of the first half, they were being I don't I don't know what the term is not outplayed because. But they were outplayed by Colorado in the first half. But Colorado had 49 plays. ASU had ran 33. But by the end of the game, ASU led in play differential 88-80. to 80. And so, you know, we've talked a lot this year about whether or not this team runs more tempo or, you know, just sticking with the ball and uh, time of possession, play count. And we really saw that in the second half. And obviously it worked in their favor. But I feel like a lot of that is because the run game was so successful even though they have – but on the other hand, they have had success when the running game is not working when they're also running a lot of plays. Yeah, um, but but I think this 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 point is really um, spotlighted by just the style of play that this team has to really have to, to be at its most effective. And that is to say um, what used to be a hurry up, play fast, get a lot of snaps in – type of an offense matched by a defense that was uh, really pressuring aggressively, trying to force turnovers and three and outs and negative plays. It's different now. Like like this defense isn't doing that quite as much. And this offense doesn't have the same level of potency, the fourth quarter, notwithstanding in this game, it's more about drive sustainment and, and uh, being on schedule in early downs and running more plays and wearing out a defense and, field position it's kind of like a different type of a team in that respect and so the so yeah they like before asu's um one minute drill drive at the end of the 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 first half it was getting crushed and had those numbers all out of sorts in the first half and then it totally flipped from that point through the rest of the game and um and colorado's defense was just on the field way too much it was worn down they had a couple injury issues where guys were coming out of the game, and and ASU just kind of just just um, just knocked them down, and 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 I just think that they were just done, and and uh, Napier saw it and, and took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And another thing Napier has continued to take advantage of, like he has all year long, is the red zone scoring. They're six of, six of six again in this game that that puts them up to 30 of 31 on the year obviously the one was was the kneel mm-hmm. to seal the game against Washington but uh 23 touchdowns in that on the year and they're first in the Pac-12 by far I mean were there were there things you noticed that 
I mean, it seems like they bring out something new every time they get into the red zone. Yeah, this this game they didn't they didn't really have as many like you know near goal line red zone opportunities. Um, and I think they were probably really frustrated early in the game because they were having to kick a lot of field goals. But then you get late in the ball game and just what the run game kind of kind of set up in, in terms of their red zone opportunities and, and, and touchdowns. Like if you look at their scoring, um, it, Demario Richard, you know, kind of rolled over the Colorado defense and then tied the game at 27. And then you had the Benjamin run where he just, where he literally spun three times and broke through like four tackles, like to get to the end zone, which was something else. And then the last one, was I, I don't even know if I agree with the play call of zone read with Manny Wilkins in shotgun. Yeah, in yeah. shotgun, and then like scrambling for the corner. I mean, there's just like multiple things that could go wrong in, in that situation. But uh, they punched in. You know, that, that was the, by far the icer. Obviously, at that point, the game is is pretty much over when you're up uh, 11 points with like two minutes left or whatever it is, uh, less than two, whatever it was, a minute less than a minute left or whatever, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, um, the red zone success has been though, you just look at creatively what they've done with the, the Ram package, the, the, uh, you know, copying from the New England Patriots with the Patriot thing. Uh, they've, they've had, they've used unbalanced lines, uh, and, uh, you know, they've run behind, uh, you know, seven offensive linemen on the field and they've done all kinds of different things creatively that have been uh, pretty successful and on the whole you would have to say that that's another you know that's another component of what they're doing with the fewer negative plays the not turning the football over the red zone success when you lack uh, big play explosiveness in your in, in in your overall offense those are the things that you have to do in order to be successful and they really are and so I mean, I guess you may have already answered this, but how come how come a team can be so successful in the red zone, but then, you know, outside of that, really have struggles? <laughs> well, remember, early in the season, you had five receivers that all had 100-yard games, and they were really kind of uh, showing more explosiveness in the passing game, I think. Uh, John Humphrey coming out of the lineup, I think, hurt that to some degree. And then they had some other... Like Jalen Harvey's has been banged up here and there, and um, you know I don't think Ryan Newsom was banged up, but then also hasn't really materialized to the degree that they probably would hope. Uh, and Nikhil Harry, for as good as he is, he's a been something that opponents have keyed on, and b you don't see him being a guy who really separates and gets behind the defense a lot. A lot, most of his catches are more contested grabs. Uh, that's something that's going to have to be developed and, and, and be something that NFL scouts are, are watching as well. So I think that that's – they just really haven't had as much of that. And, and, and also keep in mind they've played some pretty good defenses that have been more conservative-style defenses. You look at Washington and Utah, they play a lot of single-high, deep-set center field safeties that they prevent big plays from happening. Um, Colorado, to some degree, does – does some of those things as well. So I think, I think, I think, you know, it's usually multiple factors and um, teams have, you know, kind of kept the top on the defense, but ASU still kind of found a way to manufacture enough offensively outside of the, uh, the USC game in concert with the, the synergy provided by the, by its defense. 
and you know, kind of go to, to go along with that. Kyle Williams said last week in in his availability that they like to keep a sheet on the sideline and they tally how many of their guys get touches. Um, I didn't know that throughout the game. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. And so he said they literally will keep tallies, and if if there's a guy that you know maybe doesn't have as much, they'll try to get him the ball, and, and you know vice versa. So how do you you know looking at all the guys that contributed in this game? Do you think that it was spread out well? I mean, you see you see Curtis Hodges had that big 31 yard catch. You know Benjamin obviously made his play, so some new guys were contributing. But how about the the other guys? I mean, we've seen Frank Darby contribute. He didn't he hasn't played in a couple games. I mean, John Humphrey's a guy you just mentioned had a huge role earlier in the season and hasn't really broken in yet since his injury. I would say that I'm surprised that Humphrey hasn't been doing more like in the last game or two, especially against Colorado. He looked fine health wise. So I'm perplexed that his snap count's been lower. I also think that it's been a little surprising to see Ryan Newsom starting and getting as much burn as he's been getting. Um, if you go back to the first drive that ASU had, he missed a block on a, on a second down screen for Kyle Williams and got taken off the field pretty quickly after that. And then ASU goes three and out and punts on its first drive. Um, you see him back in this in practice this week. He, he's with the ones again. Uh, I feel like ASU's best receivers are Nikhil Harry, Jalen Harvey, Kyle Williams, and, uh, and John Humphrey. Those are their, your, your, their four best receivers. I think after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. But, um, I, I uh, you know, they like Frank Darby as a big play target. Of course, you got to be careful because you bring a guy in and then teams kind of get a sense that that's kind of what you're going to probably do. But he's also a pretty good blocker. Um, so I think they would be wise to try to get him more reps. I don't think Newsom's been as quite as effective. I, I look at uh, Curtis Hodges as more just like a situational guy that you would bring in there occasionally. Like they threw a bubble screen to him against USC that was a little bit perplexing to me because it doesn't he's not a, an elusive guy that's gonna you know squeeze through a gap or whatever. I like Kyle Williams in that role. Jalen Harvey's a guy who can move the chains, um, but I think I think John I think John Humphrey is you got to get a little bit more, and then C.J. Frenchlove as a receiving target flashed some earlier in the year, but he's been bothered by a hamstring pretty much throughout the season. I think their tight end capability uh, with J.J. Wilson moving to defense and not having a good season on the offensive side before he did that has also been a little bit limiting. And if anything, maybe I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't seen more two-back structures um, because uh, Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj are actually capable when you flex them out or you motion them into the slot. And there's a lot of motions in this uh, offense with with guys in the backfield, you know, moving out. Kyle Williams has done it quite a bit. Nikhil Harry's been done, done it some. We even saw them do it with a tight end in practice this week. So, um, but you, but we haven't seen much that much of Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard on the field, or Eno Benjamin and Demario Richard on the field. And I kind of feel like maybe that's like the next evolution of something that that they could uh, actually demonstrate. And, and one of the questions someone asked uh, Coach Simon and his availability today was, you know, why why didn't Eno play more earlier in the season? Because something we talked about when he burned his red shirt in that first game was, you know, this is a big step. I mean, like, if you're doing this, you're committing to it. And he, you know, whether it be on special teams, which now he's returning kicks with Trelon Smith, or actually getting carries, like, he needs to play in order for this to feel like a use. And now you finally see it, and you see what he's capable of, so... 
you know, why do you think they didn't use him earlier? If you can think of a reason, and and what do you, what should fans expect from him going forward to finish this season? Almost always, when when guys aren't playing who are talented enough to be on the field, as he obviously is. Uh, same with Evan Fields on the defensive side of the ball. It comes down to trust in a practice setting and coaches feeling like, okay, this guy's going to be able to execute his assignment, you know, the vast majority of the time without it basically costing us possessions. Because if you put somebody out there and they miss a block or they run the wrong route or they go the wrong way when they sh- when they're supposed to get the ball on a handoff or they get the handoff but they don't but they they don't go where it's designed to go cuz you know they're just overzealous or whatever all those things are costly and when you look at Eno Benjamin uh, he had the the surgery that um, from the injury suffered in the US Army All-American game to his foot or, or ankle and then uh, it really did, wasn't able to practice in the spring i think he got a, a late start getting up to speed in, in fall camp and then it comes down to like do you know your assignments and the job and everything but then at the same time they want to play him because they know what a talent he is maybe they even told him hey in the recruiting process we're, we're, we're going to play you this season like we're not going to redshirt you and so you're almost like honoring a commitment in, in some respects um, my personal feeling is just if, if I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but uh, Kalen Balaj is a, is a great athlete, but he's a great athlete who doesn't really have an, a natural football position. And I think um, if he is going to be a running back, he's he's a running back in a pro-style offense. I've said this really frequently over the last couple of years. He needs to be with a quarterback under center in a deep set where he's, you know, coming with a full head of steam up to the line of scrimmage and a lot of power, or you're getting the ball to him on toss sweeps where he has a lot of room to one cut and get up the field because he's not somebody that has the the foot quickness, the elusiveness, the vision to react to be very reactive uh, around the line of scrimmage when he's getting the ball in tighter quarters. And, and that's just a natural, innate thing. It's really not a teachable thing. Uh, Eno Benjamin... He just has that. He he's a very very natural. I mean, you saw he had the one only only got one carry against USC. It was a 17 yard run where you just see his feet just like pitter patter around the the end and he's through. And then you see it on the touchdown run where he does like three spins and and he's breaking all kinds of tackles. Uh, he has this vision, feel, foot quickness thing that. You can try to work on and develop and hone, and I think Kalen Balaj has done a better job with getting, keeping his feet moving a little bit this year, but but he still, for his size and his speed, isn't getting to where he's able to to, to utilize those things as much as much as possible. And then he was and then he was sick uh, the last couple of weeks, and so maybe that also added to Benjamin's ability to get out there and play. And and just uh, Evan Fields, like he was hurt. And, and didn't play all all camp, wasn't practicing. He had a little bit of a back issue, and then I think he had a shoulder. And and um, like you look at, at Evan Fields when when he's out there, and it's like, wow, this guy's like more athletic and just a better natural prospect than the guys who are playing in their secondary. But then he has a bust on the first play, and and coaches, you know, like Phil Bennett's, you know, probably like pulling his hair out. And we've seen him in practice a lot of times frustrated with, with Evan Fields or 
uh, other players that haven't had much experience and it, it, it still comes down to can I trust you to execute your assignment when you're out there and 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 sort of the, the teeter-totter between that and your natural talent and being able to play. Any final takeaways from the Colorado game? Uh, main things are uh, huge for Todd Graham. It shows continued buy-in to the program with players, the 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 fighting through adversity. He's continued to show a willingness to allow Phil Bennett to do his thing def- defensively. The offensive coaches have made a lot of progress with this team. You look at the negative plays from the beginning of the season to where they're at now is a huge difference. They had, um, trying to find it now, they had 12 negative plays against New Mexico State, uh, 17 against Oregon, uh, two of those were kneel downs, nine against San Diego State. Um, and then you look at their negative plays against Washington, five that were non-kneel downs, four against Utah, two against Colorado. That's a huge development. Their run game is better. Their balance is better. Manny Wilkins is probably the most improved player on their team overall, which is is huge because it's at the quarterback position. He's now set another record for 250 attempts with the fewest number of of interceptions at ASU. Uh, He's become more of a leader. And uh, you you got Demario Richard crying in the the locker room after the game and Togram talking about his leadership development and and all the things that are coming along with that. Um, For ASU to be 4-2 in the Pac-12 after its 1-2 start, which was horrific, is a big surprise. And uh, and and even though this team probably isn't going to win the South and is going to end up in a you know middle tier bowl game that nobody really remembers or cares about all that much, ultimately I think they are setting themselves up for more success next year. I think it's safe to say if they do make that bowl game, Todd Graham will be one who remembers it. Yeah, Todd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This whole staff is going to. You know the whole staff because it's been a it's it's been a tightrope of a season in, in a lot of respects. So definitely, you're right about that. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you on the free podcast. As always, we'll have our premium coming later in the week, going more in depth and previewing this UCLA game with or without star quarterback Josh Rosen. We still are, have yet to see. But um, as always, be on the lookout for all of our other content throughout the week going into this game. And thank you for listening. <laughs>